Hey everyone, this is at New York Eye Doc, aka Dr. Damaris Raimondi. I'm an optometrist and welcome to my show. Do not forget to hit that subscribe button if you like what you hear. And let's just get right to it. Let's get to today's guest. She is an ophthalmologist. We have an ophthalmologist in the house today. And she is just a few weeks shy of completing her fellowship in vitreoretinal surgery. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Martha Hanau. Yay! Thank you so much. Yay! Thank you. I'm very welcome excited to, to be here. Show. Yeah, what do patients call you sometimes? You were sharing with me a, a fun story. So I, you know, I have a lot of like issues with my last name, like the way to pronounce it is now, because, you know, in Spanish, the H is silent, but once I came to the United States, it's hey now, and then some people are like, they have trouble. So I just tell them, just call me Dr. Hey now. And they're like, oh, okay. Cause like sometimes I'm in a clinic with a bunch of residents and then they're mm -hmm. like, oh, I really want you to see me next time. And I go, yeah, sure. Next time you come back, just ask for Dr. Hey now. And then that's how they get it. It makes sense. Yeah. I hear it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't mind being called Dr. Hey now. I'm like, yeah, sure. Uh, well, yeah. I, I like it now, but I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that. I'm so I'm too anglicized, I guess. I don't know. Like, I have yeah, yeah, no, age. me too. Like, I came here right? when I was like 12, so I got used to hey now. I'm like, yeah, sure, that's me. Got <laughs> it. Hey Where did you grow up? So I grew up in. I was born and raised in Venezuela. Um, my parents are both from Colombia. So there was a oh, time okay. that the economy in Venezuela was really good. And my both of my parents independently immigrated to Venezuela. And that's where my parents left, uh, met. And then they got married there. And then when I was 11, we came to the United States, to Miami. So I feel like, you know, people ask me all the time. And I'm like, well, my family's Colombian. So I'm from Colombia. But... Also, being in Miami during my teen years, it's a big part of who I am today. So I'm like a little bit from everywhere. You, I just completely forgot. You're absolutely right about Venezuela's like tumultuous history. There was a yeah. time when it was good. Yeah. Yes, there was a time when it was good. Mm -hmm. It was like compared to what the United States is like, oh, the dream. So, so my, that was like in the 70s. The economy mm -hmm. was very solid. And uh, my parents independently went there to seek a better future. Like my mm. mom is one of 12 and my dad is one of 10. Um, so they kind of were like forced to seek a better future. And then, and, and also they were forced to like provide for their families. So they saw that there was opportunity in Venezuela. And then when things started getting a little rough, my dad had an opportunity, a job offer here in the United States. And he came in first. So I actually had like about three years without my dad. And mm. then after my dad, uh, they offered his job, like kind of like a more permanent thing. Then he was able to bring us. That story is repeated many, many times over yes. with a lot of people here. And I actually have one uncle who left Peru to Venezuela. It must have been around the early 80s. Yeah, yeah. Around then. So I have some cousins there and I'm sure they probably feel the same. Like, are they Peruvian or? Yes. But yeah, same thing with my yeah. parents. One of nine each. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when I talk, like I, when I speak Spanish, 
It's mm-hmm. like I have something from Venezuela words, some Colombian accent, and then there's like my Miami influence because I had a lot of friends that were Cuban. So I just like it's just a mix. So people have a hard time trying to tell where I'm from when I speak Spanish to them. What do uh, patients usually guess? So it's really interesting because um, my my mom, so she, my mom was born like out in the coffee field. So I have a little bit like a native look. So a lot of pe- Hispanic people label me as Asian. Um, I have had instances of people speaking Spanish in front of me and they think I don't know the language. So oh my yeah, God. yeah, I have had it happen in high school you know, in college and even now in, in through my training. So when I say something in Spanish, they're like, oh, your Spanish is so good. Where did you learn it? And I'm like, oh, I learned it at home. <laughs> so like being called like from all the countries in Asia and Filipino and people just like, they just get puzzled. And I'm like, yeah, you probably thought I was Asian, but I'm not Asian. I'm actually from South America. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh my gosh, am I interviewing my twin right now? Because I feel the same. Yeah. I feel the same. Like some, uh, some of my Spanish speaking pa- speaking patients have no idea. And I always have people guess. Yeah, yeah, it's fun, right? And then they're like, they just, they no have clue. no clue. I get, mm-hmm. my mom gets Philippines all the time. You know, it's really funny because her. my husband is European. My husband is from Serbia. So uh, mm-hmm. we traveled to Colombia when I was uh, when we were finishing medical school, and my husband had to request a visa to go to Colombia. So my dad, oh my, is a, my dad uh-huh. was the sponsor because my dad is a Colombian citizen. I'm not. So we get to the embassy in Miami, and it's my dad, my husband, and myself. So they're like, okay, only the 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 person requesting the visa. And like, kind of like the host can go in. So my dad goes in with my husband and the lady goes, no, no, no. Isn't she requesting the visa? <laughs> she thought my husband was a Hispanic one and I was a foreigner. And my dad was like, oh my yeah, God. It's, so, it's hilarious. So my, my dad was like, no, she's my daughter. She doesn't need a visa. This is my son-in-law. <laughs> Oh yeah, my gosh. Yeah. So my husband gets it like all the time. They're like, oh, are you Hispanic? And my husband's like, no, I'm European. Dude, that is so funny. Yeah. My husband, he's of Indian descent, mm-hmm. and everyone always talks to him in mm-hmm. Spanish when we go to Peru. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's just standing in there like, like uh, hola. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love yeah. this. We share so many similarities already. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and we also share a love of eyes, and I want to know, and our listeners want to know too, when did you know that you wanted to become an ophthalmologist? So I found out that I wanted to be an ophthalmologist in medical school, actually. Um, I came into medical school thinking I wanted to be a pediatrician. As a child, I love my pediatrician, and um, I had a little cousin with some medical issues she was born premature so I was exposed to a lot of that a lot of her visits her specialists and the NICU and all that stuff so I was like oh I want to do pediatrics and she was very resilient like growing up and all that stuff and I'm like I love this and then I was in third year medical school and you when you do third year you do your clinicals and you have to go through like the main like specialties for medicine and surgery is one of them so they allow us to have 
two weeks where we pick something that we like. So two weeks of surgical subspecialty electives. And I was like, well, I looked at the list and I was like, oh, ophthalmology. So I picked ophthalmology and ENT randomly. And um, there was like thoracic surgery, vascular surgery, orthopedics, urology, all this stuff. And I was like, okay, let me go do ophthalmology. So my first week of clinicals was actually ophthalmology. So this is like a new, brand new third year medical student waiting to conquer the world. And then I go in and I really like the microsurgery aspect and I didn't think that the eyes were so amazing. I actually thought they were boring at the beginning. <laughs> and then <laughs> one of the residents let me put a punctum plug for like a dry eye treatment. And like, I noticed that my hands were pretty steady and I really liked the microscope. And I thought, whoa, this is a, a most amazing feeling ever. It, it just took one punctum plug to <laughs> plug me into the field. That's it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so then I, um, I went through my surgical electives and I, I like the OR and uh, I like being in control in the OR. And then I went through PEDS and I realized I didn't want to do PEDS. So I went back and forth, you know what, am I going to do ophthalmology? And then I like, I was a medical student that I think I like everything. Um, and then I was like, you know what, I am going to apply to ophthalmology with a backup plan. Because I decided kind of late, like some of these people that I work with, they knew they were going to be ophthalmologists when they were in college. And they oh, started wow. getting into research and stuff. And I didn't have any of that because I decided in my third year. And also ophthalmology is the early match. So while everybody has to have their stuff together, like in September, uh, and then maybe add more stuff to your CV until December, then no, I had to like have everything ready in July. So mm -hmm. I didn't have that much, but with like hustling and talking and all that stuff, I got my stuff together and knowing that I was at risk of not matching, I applied to internal medicine as another specialty just in case. And then I was planning probably to specialize into either rheumatology or endocrinology. So I, I just said, okay, you know what? I have to be okay with a backup plan, but I ended up matching to ophthalmology. I'm very, I'm very blessed. Just a punctum plug, but it takes a lot of stereo and a lot of coordination. <laughs> so it must've felt magical. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely I mean, hear you through that. When you're a third year medical student, somebody lets you do something. It's like, wow, this is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And your path, including fellowship, of course, takes a lot of years. Yeah. So for our younger listeners, we would love it if you could walk us through the years that it takes uh, to become an ophthalmologist, including a fellowship. What's that like? Yeah, so I, I did four years of undergrad. And um, I, I'm a little bit of a non-traditional uh, student, meaning that I had a gap. So I had a, about a two year and a half gap in between college and medical school. And that was because I took the MCAT three times and I actually applied to medical school three cycles. Mm -hmm. So yeah, during that gap, I was doing the research. Mm -hmm. So I was like a research technician at um, the University of Miami. And that really helped me kind of like get stuff in my CV. And that's actually where I learned how to do microsurgery. 
So I had a little bit of a background in microsurgery by the time ophthalmology came to my life. So after my four years of undergrad, then I did the research, took the MCAT, applied to medical school. Then I did four years of medical school. So the first two years is like you're it's like immersed in the books and the questions and all that stuff. You take your step one, then you go to your clinicals, which is third year and fourth year. But fourth year is more like a little bit advanced clinicals and also elective time. And then I did, after I finished that, I did an intern year um, in internal medicine. So for ophthalmology, anesthesiology, radiology, all dermatology, you have to do an intern year in like surgery, internal medicine or prelim, which is a little bit of everything. So I chose internal medicine because my husband was applying to internal medicine and I thought it would be fun for us to have one more year of schooling together. <laughs> yeah. So we both did intern year together Aww. in the same program. So that was fun. Um, and then after that, I did three years of general ophthalmology. So that's where I trained how to do a little bit of everything, cataract surgery, glaucoma, eyelids, pediatrics, a little bit of retina, cornea. And then after that, I somehow decided that I wanted to keep training. Um, so there is medical retina and there's vitreoretinal retinal surgery. So medical retina is an extra year and it's kind of like treatment, like medical treatment of retina um, diseases. So like laser injections, things like that. It's not vitreoretinal retinal surgery, but I wanted to take it to the next step. <laughs> and I was like, no, I want to be a vitreoretinal retinal surgeon. So I decided to add two more years of training to uh, after I finish ophthalmology. So I am very close to finishing. So, so close. Congratulations and early congrats from you. absolutely all Thank of you. us. And what do you like Thank about you. Uh, your vitro retinal fellowship? Our residency is very heavy in retina. So a lot of our, our county patients um, have like advanced diabetic retinopathy and they have like all this like weird stuff. And I was drawn into pathology. Like I like to deal with sick eyes. Um, and I, I also like to see things. So with retina, we have different technologies, angiograms, OCTs, like all these imaging modalities. And like, I thought that's very cool. And like, just like, to show a patient, this is the inside of your eye and this is your retinal detachment or this is your toxo scar or this is your diabetic retinopathy. I really liked it. It was very visual. And also I like that not every retina surgery is the same. So sometimes I go into the OR and we had like today we had ERMs, I'm sorry, epiretinal membranes. We had retinal detachment. We had a trauma case. We had a vitreous hemorrhage. So it's like a, a mixed variety of things. I really like that. And sometimes, you know, we do combined cases and sometimes, you know, the people need help. And that's where we come in and we're like, we're going to save your retina. Yes. Um, I also think that people that go into feature retina surgery, they, um, they have to be okay with people not seeing well. So a lot of our advanced diabetics, they're not going to end up seeing 2020. Like, when you do a cataract surgery, for example. Um, and I find that when I was talking to my colleagues, as I was like, kind of like becoming an ophthalmologist, I find that they 
didn't like retina clinics. They didn't like retina patients because, you know, sometimes people are seeing the big E and that's it. That's the best vision we can get out of them. And I'm okay with that. Um, I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally fine with dealing with patients like that and just having to talk with them and say, hey, your diabetes is really advanced. I'm really sorry. This is the best we could do for you. So, so I think that's another aspect that of like vitreo retina surgery that you know, that other people don't get to experience. And it's absolutely needed. We need this kind of work. Yes. And I'm sure you noticed too that even though you might not be able to get that patient in 2020, they are still incredibly grateful for you know for the yes. what you provide for them. I actually yesterday I had a patient um so the patient came in with a chronic retinal detachment and you know the longer you wait the vision prognosis is not so great uh especially for if they're mac off so we did his surgery we did you know we removed the oil and then the patient got a cataract surgery and then I I actually talked to the patient yesterday and I said I'm really sorry but in six months when you come back I'm not gonna be here my colleague is going to see you and he said to me just the fact that I can cover my good eye and make it out of this door. I'm so thankful that you did this. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, that was very touching. That absolutely yeah. is. That's what why we do what we do. That's why we spend all these long hours. Yes. It's to help these patients yes. and all this studying. Yeah, you're doing you're doing excellent. I know we're we're all so proud of you. Yes. I'm very good. blessed. And actually, I have a question. Yep. So maybe we can make this into a little mini CE. In terms of what is like a next day emergency, if you can help me like clarify, like from, from you, from directly from a surgeon, what's like more of an emergency in terms of a retinal detachment? If it's MAC on or MAC? Uh, you, you know, MAC off, depending how old they are. Of course, the sooner you get to them, the better. Mm-hmm. But uh, MacOFRD is something that you can leave for the next day or the next OR day. Because the Mac macula, RD. which is the most important part, it's already detached. Uh, versus macula on RDs, uh, especially if they're superior, you know, the fluid can track down and the retina can continue to detach. So those are the type of, of detachments that we rather do sooner rather than later. And um, oftentimes we do a pneumatic. Um, so we inject like a gas bubble in the eye to kind of like hold the retina while we get the patient to the OR within the next three days or so. Oh, okay. So like as a temporary thing. Yes. Yes. So we, we, we do a lot of pneumos. Um, it's, it's difficult to do surgery at nighttime, especially like in my program, we only have one full-time, um, retina attending. So it is difficult. I, we, we do have a high volume of retinal detachments, but so far, like we do a pneumo, something temporary, and we get them to the OR within the next 24 to 72 hours. Got it. Got it. So the MAC on yeah, ones so is superior, what we got Superior MAC on RDs is the most urgent thing. Got it. Thank you for repeating that for our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Do you also do this uh, retinal surgeries on peds, on children? Yeah, so our program has a little bit of pediatric exposure. Um, so I've gotten the opportunity to do surgeries on children. Um, mostly like we're diagnosing things of like uveitis and we need to take a sample. We've done a lot of like RDs, um, ROP stuff. So uh, the retinopathy of prematurity. So that's when we screen the babies when they're very premature and the retina is not fully developed. So I've gotten a lot of experience with that. 
Okay, yes. And on Instagram, you do often share your stories and you share how many cases you get in a day. And I've seen there that you've seen peds. <laughs> what can you describe a day yeah. in the life? How many, like, let's say on a medium busy day, how many cases do you have? Well, so on um, our cases vary from four to seven cases per day, depending on the difficulty. So today we did five. Um, and it just depends. So I had one day when I had three retinal detachments. So you can say, oh, okay, it's just three cases. But we did three buccal vitrectomies. That was like mm -hmm. all they think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So usually when we do peats, we do two cases because you don't want to have a long OR day and you don't want to have this kid without eating like all day. <laughs> so Pete's cases, we tend to do a, a couple of them, like twice a month. And for our younger listeners, you're part of a very large team. What are the other like job titles of the people who are part of your team? So I, I love our team. Um, our OR team, uh, we have OR nurses. So they're the ones that get the orders, the medications, the patients ready. I love our technicians. And, you know, most of the technicians that I work with, these are young people that are like, with in college, some of them want to go to nursing school and some of them, like they're working part-time. So I love talking to them about their experiences. You know, it's hard to have a job, a full-time job. I go to yeah. school at night. Uh, one of my technicians, she has two jobs and she wants to become a nurse. Um, so I really, really like talking to them. They they tend to ask me about the eye and how it works and why am I doing certain things. So I like to engage them. And, um, you know, keeping your staff engaged really makes a difference. And like, I know their birthdays. Like today I drop off Starbucks for our OR team. So that's our OR. Then we have in our clinic, we have the MAs and we have the certified ophthalmic technicians and we also have our optometrists. So that's another team. Um, I, and I love all of them because like sometimes our optometrists, they see a retinal attachment and they call me and they say, hey, can I send this patient to your clinic? And sometimes, you know, for example, we do a suture lens and the patient has a little bit of a refractive error. So I call the optometrist and I say, hey, you know, I did the suture lens. This is a refractive error. Do you think you can optimize their vision? Uh, with our uh, pediatrics team, our optometrists help us when the, in our patients that are aphakic. Sometimes we have to do vitrectomy lensectomy. So, you know, for the, and you, you want to prevent amblyopia. So we have a great team that takes care of the kiddos and their scleral fixing, like scleral contact lenses. We also have our photographers and I love talking to our photographers. So these are people that are certified to take special like pictures of the eyes. And there's a lot of things that you can learn from those photos. And I also like to keep them engaged and teach them the pathology because they know what they're looking for. Um, some of our photographers are really good at detecting melanomas. Like I tell them, hey, I have a melanoma in the superior nasal quadrant, can you take a photo? And they're like able to give me measurements. Um, and we also have our technicians that are like the backbone of our clinic. And I, they, they know how to triage patients. You know, they talk to us, our schedulers are amazing. I like, you know, putting everything in order. So it takes a village to, get these patients moving it takes so many of yeah. us 
and maybe not all of us true retinal surgeons, but there's so many other ways <laughs> that we could impact someone's life too. Seriously, it's like incredible what you guys do. And I want to give a shout out to our residents because they're the ones covering primary call and they're the ones that bring the patient in and they just like make sure they get follow-ups and sometimes participate in the surgery. So they, they do a lot of work. It's so much of a learning process and a lot of work for everybody. Yes. And as you were saying, you do have a lot of Spanish-speaking patients. And because you can communicate with them and you come from a similar background, I'm sure that's also what's helped you have such a great relationship with them. What does it mean to you to be a Latina in medicine? Well, I am very blessed. I feel that I'm in a position of like empowerment and like I feel that I can help so much in my community. Um, I love county clinic. I just love it. And um, one thing that I always like tell myself is en la unión está la fuerza. So if it wasn't because of that village that has been supporting me throughout my career, college years, my my medical school years, my ophthalmology years, and now my fellowship, you know, all those people that said, hey, I'm going to advise you to do this. I'm gonna, I'm, I think you should do this route. I think you should do this. You know, I feel like I am very, very blessed to be a Latin woman in such a, like, specialized field. And I like to, like, empower other people to do so. You know, I, I've met people, and I'm pretty sure you've met people, too, that they will want to go to school, but they can't because they have to help their families. Mm-hmm. So you just have to like empower them and support them. And I feel like I am in a, in a very blessed position to do so. Empowering them just by being you and being there. If they can see it, they believe too that they can be it. So that's a huge yeah. part of it. You just have to, you just have to persevere. You know, it's not easy coming from my immigrant family like I came to this country and I didn't know English and I, my parents couldn't help me with my homework because they didn't know how to read. But together we, we learned the language and we pushed through and yeah, I became a little bit more responsible very early on because I figured out that my parents were not going to be able to help me out. So I had to find a way to help myself and they just kept, kept encouraging me to, to do so. Oh yeah. That's a, uh... That's something that many of us can absolutely identify with, having to build that independence early on. And that got me thinking now, too. Have you met a lot of women in the surgical track or are are there more now? Our residency is very friendly. I think ophthalmology overall is very women friendly. Um, A lot of like our department leadership is like women like our chief at the VA she's a woman our program residency director she's a woman our associate program director is a woman our co-chair she's incredible so I yes which is amazing like so I when I went into ophthalmology into our department I was like oh my goodness there's all these women and like you know I talked to them about their lives and about being part-time or full-time having kids and, you know, being a leader in the department, doing research and all that stuff. I mean, it's amazing. I feel like ophthalmology, it's a great feel for women. It's very flexible. You make it what you make it. And then as I went along my career, you know, I had like 
I went to conferences. So there's the women in ophthalmology and they have their own conference. And then there's like the women in retina. Uh, so I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Oh my gosh. There's so many, yeah. so many yeah. of you. That's great. Yeah. So I, I'm very, very blessed to be surrounded by great female role models. And only there's only going to be more as the future. Yes. Good Yes. So and I aspire to be a role model to somebody like I have had medical students come to me and say, hey, you know, how do you get into ophthalmology? And I'm like, this is what I did. <laughs> and I support them. And like, if I know there is a research project going on, I contact the medical student or the resident and say, hey, this doctor's planning to do this. Get on it. And I myself, when I have an opportunity to write a case report or something, I make sure to get somebody involved. That's so important. I think that's something I need to work on more, talking more to people. I get shy, but that's good. I love it. You're my role model now. I'm a social, I'm <laughs> a social butterfly. Yeah, I, I, I like, I know people everywhere. That's so good. I'm, I'm going I'm to aspire to be like that too. But you know what's uh, funny? I, I don't like public speaking. No, but you got to do it. No. Don't you have to do it a lot? I don't like grand rounds. I do. We have to do grand rounds and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, now with Zoom, it's kind of better because it's like I can hide behind <laughs> my screen. But I hate doing grand rounds or like big presentations. <laughs> I think I'm an introverted ex- extrovert. Yeah, me too. I do better on podcasts than I do in video, but I still force myself to do videos. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. Just going to, you know, like working on that muscle. We'll get there. Yes. And I also wanted to ask you if you could share with us, you already have shared a lot, but if you could share some more words of wisdom for those of us just starting out our medical careers and those of us who are aspiring to do so. So I always tell people don't give up. Like I went to medical school three times and I took the MCAT Mm -hmm. three times. So when somebody comes to me and say, oh yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I only applied once. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no. And I tell them my story. I mean, we had a technician in our clinic who was like giving up after applying his second time. And I said, no, apply a third time. And then I got him involved in this. And guess what? He got accepted. Oh my to medical gosh. School. Yes. That's incredible. He, he, the first thing he, so, so besides calling his parents, he told me, he's like, Dr. Hinao, I just want to let you know, I got accepted to medical school. I'm like, great. So you just don't give up. You don't. If you really want it, you know, you just have to keep trying and, you know, you'll find a way you got to hustle and you have to do it. And one of the things that I kept telling myself during medical school, so, you know, first you don't give up. So you get into where you want to be, whether it's pharmacy, nursing, engineer, optometry, medicine, whatever it is, you don't give up. You know, things happen for a reason. The experience that I had at the research lab happened for a reason. It actually helped me into solidify my love for ophthalmology. It did. I, I didn't see it at that time. But now that I look back, I am so thankful I had other, that research experience. And uh, while in medical school, I always told myself, this too shall pass like a kidney stone <laughs> <laughs> without, without the allotted because it's so some Some blocks in medical school were very painful. And I always kept telling myself, just keep swimming. And uh, actually yesterday I went into the medical center to do an ROP screening and I saw a little thing on the floor. It was a figure of Dory and it said, just keep swimming. And I'm like, yeah, 
just keep swimming because that's what we have that's to do all we have. just have to keep swimming and everyone you heard what she said she didn't apply once and say this is not for me she applied three times i knew it it was in my heart it was in my heart to become a doctor and then i found ophthalmology i i love eyeballs it's like crazy i love them I thought the same as you. When I decided to apply to optometry school, I'm like, okay, this is not going to be that hard because just eyeballs. Eh. Yeah, right. <laughs> so wrong. Yeah. Yeah, nobody thinks that eyeballs are, like, hard. It's everything. It's neurology. It is uh, pediatrics. It's psychology. Yes, absolutely everything. Yes. Yeah, like, we find tumors inside mm-hmm. eyeballs. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's like, do you see, do you actually save people's lives by looking at their eyeballs? Yes. So I recommend people to get their eyeballs. Yes, at. not enough people do, even now, which is why no. I have my Instagram. I started it because I was seeing way too many 60-year-olds having their first dilated eye exam. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we gotta, gotta get the word out. It's up to us, up to you and me. And you know, I want to say thank you to you because your Instagram is very informative. Mine is just like a mix of everything. I'm hoping that once I'm done with fellowship and I have some time off, I can just like focus on something. And once I start practicing, I can like do more educational stuff, especially about diabetic retinopathy, because that's one of the things that I'm more passionate about. Thank you so much. But yes, that is so needed. Diabetes. It's absolutely heartbreaking what we see it is. yeah in our communities yeah. too it just patients will come in yeah. end stage proliferative diabetic retinopathy it's yeah it's terrible and people there are people that they're not even 35 year old <sighs> and they're legally blind it's heartbreaking we have to do much more in terms of education together we'll be able yes. to do it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i think the fact that we both speak spanish it's a great advantage to get the word out to our community and educate them. Yes, we got to educate them and we got to let them know that whether you have insurance or not, that's not the question. We need to preserve everyone's eyesight and prevent this preventable thing from even happening in the first place. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. But yes, I can't wait to see your Instagram is already inspiring. I already knew that you were awesome from it. So uh, yeah, best of luck Thank to you. you. Yours is too. Thank you. You did a lot of great work there with uh, your foundation and stuff. Oh, thank you so much. Where can our uh, listeners find you? Do you know where your next step is or not yet? Well, so I'm going to stay at uh, working at our county hospital for a little bit. Because of COVID, things got pushed back uh, with my job. Um, so I'm just, and I also need to study for boards. So as of now, my board's still scheduled for September 30th. Um, so I'm going to be doing that, just like being at home and just studying a little bit and working with the fellows at our cutting hospital. And then I can't say anything yet about my job because it's not a hundred percent confirmed, but, uh, once they, once that happens then I'll announce it. But in the meantime, just like through Instagram, my Facebook is like pretty inactive and I don't have Twitter. I don't even know how to work Twitter. I don't have TikTok. <laughs> I don't even know how to work that. That's okay. Yeah, so well, we, my, you got to get yeah, on TikTok so just later for patient education. Thank you so much. 
for taking your time you. to talk to us. Thank you so yeah. much. And everybody, if you really liked the conversation today, please leave us a rating and review. That way more listeners can hear these awesome things too. Thank you again, doctor. And Thank say you. bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Stay safe. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Thank you.